So I touched on a bit earlier what Advent is. And Advent, in my house growing up, was just a calendar with chocolate. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, we celebrated Christmas, uh, but Advent, I didn't understand other than the cardboard calendar you get, and you open up each day after dinner, and you get a chocolate before bed, which I don't know what my parents were thinking now that I have kids. And then uh, you wait until the 24th, because then that's when you get the big chocolate. You're like, yes! And then the next day, you get presents. So it, that's what Advent was to me as a kid. Um, and what's interesting, as we were actually meeting as a design team, and we were talking about presents, and just that word, because we, we were so caught up in wanting presents as a kid. And even now, we love to give and receive presents but then there's the play on word where it's actually God's presence, C-E, that we receive on Christmas Day. And I thought that play on words is just so interesting because that's what we're celebrating. We're, we're preparing ourselves and celebrating that God is present with us. And my prayer is that tonight... If there's nothing else you walk away with, it's that you know that God is present with you, that God longs to be with you, and in a relationship with you where you desire to get to know Him as He desires to get to know you. And a, a pastor uh, by the name of A.W. Tozer has said that God's presence is the central fact of Christianity. It comes down to God's presence. It's all about God's presence. And that's what gives us hope. That's what gives us hope moving forward. In, but it all depends on, on where we start. So if you have your Bibles, I don't have slides uh, behind me tonight. Uh, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It's the very first book of the Bible, the very first two chapters of the Bible. And it's important where we start because where we start matters. Because you see, again, growing up around Christianity, we, we like to talk about where we're currently at. And that makes sense because we're going through the ups and downs of life and we're trying to figure out how to make sense of things and trying to find that hope moving forward. But we forget to start at the beginning. We forget to start with, with the foundation. And it's that beginning that actually gives us hope moving forward and going through the ups and downs. Because you see, the very first line of the Bible is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we can get into the debate on, is this a literal seven days that God created this in? Did God create it in million, over a period of millions of years? And to that, I will just say yes. The fact that God created God created. That's what it starts with. And actually, as I was digging in to some of the, the, the commentaries that, that rip apart the Hebrew, and it actually even talks about this word beginning doesn't necessarily mean the very beginning of time, because then we get into all those philosophical debates, well, where did God come from? And, but the beginning of an event, the beginning of... Uh, uh, initiating something. So, like, if you're in a race, there's a beginning, and it starts. So, 
the very beginning is that God initiates creation. God creates. And this is important to recognize because there's also a lot of other creation stories and narratives that were happening at this time in the ancient Near East culture that were about creation, that were about God's creating what we know as planet Earth and humanity. And a lot of them have striking similarities, but there's also some huge differences. So some of the, some of the narratives that were around were these, these deities and gods fighting one another. And that in the battle, that some blood dripped from some of the, some of the battle wounds and mixed with clay. And that then initiated creation. And that is what evolved into civilization and culture. And it's actually even strikingly similar that in some of these stories and the, these mythologies is that there's even a seventh day of rest, but it's not in the same sense that we have our seventh day of rest. It's in the sense that these deities were fighting and that they were, they were so tired that they had to take a day of rest in order to rejuvenate and, and heal and re-energize. But what we have is a God who creates out of order and who creates out of relationship, as we'll see in a few minutes. And a God who creates the world and humanity in such a way that it will continue this forward movement which in the end is all about being in his presence. So we have in chapter one that God creates the heavens and the earth, that God creates light, God creates space between the waters resulting in sky, God creates the land and the seas, God creates vegetation which produces more plants and trees, God creates the sun and the stars which mark the seasons, days and years, God creates the animals to fill the earth and to multiply. And then in verse 26 of chapter 1, God says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Now I'm just going to take another sidestep here, and, and this is where some of our Trinitarian theology comes from. Uh, we, we talk about a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God and Jesus, Holy Ghost. It, this indicates that he is already in relationship with himself as he says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So Jesus isn't just an event that happened on December 25th, or at least that's when we celebrate it, but Jesus was with God at the beginning. This is where John 1.1 talks, talks about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and Jesus is there at the very beginning. And the one thing that I really want to emphasize as well is as we look into this creation story is that it's all about God. You see, we also like to, to think back to our origins and figure out, okay, where did we come from? How did this evolve? How did this, this grow? 
But this story is all about God, and we can't miss that point, that it's God that's initiating this. It's God that's beginning this. It's God that's creating. And what's interesting is if you skip down to chapter 2, verse 7, it kind of expands on the story of creating human beings. And it says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living person. What's so interesting about this is this is the only time that the breath of life, that the spirit of God, it's, it's, it's God's spirit that he breathes into the man. This is the only time that this is mentioned, meaning there's something different. There's something that sets us apart. We're made in the image of God. We have the, the essence of God. And we're breathed life. And as I, um, as I try and get my head around this, it, it's what separates us apart is you look at uh, just wild animals, and there's a food chain, there's an order, and there's the strong eats the weak. And you don't see them regretting their decisions the next day thinking, mm, maybe I shouldn't have eaten that little guy last night for dinner. But we have something like that. We have that consciousness and that understanding to be able to, to understand a sense of morality. And I think that's a huge deal. Because we've been made as humans, spiritual beings. And you know what? Some of the, some of the most hardened atheists that I've met, or agnostics. Atheists just refuse that there's a God. Agnostics say, I don't know. We'll never really know if there's a God. Some of the hardest atheists still have this sense of morality. And you try and probe where it comes from, where the injustice comes from. And I believe that it comes from right here when it's God who breathes his spirit into humanity. We have been given spirit. I'm not sure if you've ever been with uh, anyone who has passed away. Uh, I've had uh, the difficult circumstance of, of being present twice. Once with my grandpa and once with uh, my wife's grandma. And I've never witnessed anything quite like it. But when you're present with them, there seemed to be this this sense that they, that they knew that the presence was in the room, that there was this life. And in both instances, it was when we stepped out of the room for a few minutes that they, they, they let go, and when we came back in, you could just feel in the room that the spirit, the soul was gone, and the body was just a shell. It's God's spirit that breathes into us and creates life creates life that produces. So just as he produces vegetation, which continues to bear seeds and keep reproducing, and then animals, he then breathes into us spirit. And then what's interesting is if you go back to verse 26 or 28 in chapter 1, God blesses humanity and says, be fruitful and multiply. 
Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over. In other words, he's saying, don't let creation reign and rule over you. To have a proper order. That God has structured things in this order, order and has created humanity to overcome. And where I automatically think of this is my addiction to my cell phone. Uh, it, it's crazy. I, I, I watch other people in line at the coffee shop and they're just, they're all in line and on their phone doing something. And where I'm the most guilty of it is at, at bed, uh, bedtime, just before I go to sleep. I say goodnight to Amanda and then I roll over and lately I've been watching Just for Laughs gags on my phone just to laugh before I go to sleep. <laughs> But that's disconnecting us from presence. And I know Amanda's probably shocked that I'm sharing this or have even thought this because I haven't necessarily shared these details with her. But I felt that would we be having more conversation if I didn't let stuff rule me? Would we ha be having deeper relationship if I didn't let things rule over me? And, and it reminds me of this this pastor that I had worked with in BC, at one point, he got so fed up with his cell phone that he went back to a pager. So if you wanted to get a hold of him, you had to you call him up and, and leave a message or put in your phone number. And everyone hated it. He loved it. Because he had control over when he would respond and when he had time to do this. And he, it made him more present with the people who he was around. And when he went back to getting his cell phone. I'm not sure if pagers just expired or what. But when he went back to it, he said he felt like he had a better reign over his life and over some of the boundaries. And, and I think this is what, what God's putting in order here and showing us that if we're kind of feeling that life's out of control, is there stuff that's in our way that's, that's blocking us, perhaps from presence with each other or from presence with him? That he's wanting to speak to us, but we're being controlled by so many other things. You see, God wants to be present with us. And in fact, what you get out of this garden picture is that God is present in this garden. You see, chapter 3 is coming, and chapter 3 is where sin enters the picture. And I want to reframe sin a little bit. Um, sin isn't just a list of things you can't do and you're like, oh, I did that, did that. The sin, in other words, is disrupting this peace and harmony that God has designed for the world. Sin is the disrupt disruption of the Hebrew word shalom for this peace. And, and that's what happens when Adam and Eve eat from this tree is that they disrupt this peace and harmony that's, that's going on, and, and it, it breaks this relationship and this presence with God. And in fact, if you remove sin from the Bible, you're only left with four chapters. You're left with Genesis 1 and 2, which is in the garden, and you're left with Revelation 21 and 22, 2, 1 and 2, 2. And what it is, is it starts with this 
this picture of peace, this picture of harmony in the garden, in the God's presence. And then you remove sin, so you remove this stage that we're in right now, which next week we're going to be looking at the wilderness. And then you get to Revelation 21 and 22, and again, you're back in the presence of God. Things have been restored. But what's interesting is that things have progressed and developed. It's now a city that we're in. It's now many gardens, well-organized, which have produced this larger culture. Because you see, with God, there's always this forward momentum. In the beginning, he initiates this event, and he moves us toward developing and progressing and, and being in his presence. But this disruption of peace and harmony happens in chapter 3, and we're still in the midst of reconciling and renewing and restoring but the exciting part and the hopeful part is that we know the end. We know that God is restoring his presence and renewing and restoring creation. And he invites us to participate in it. And that's the, the exciting part of Jesus Christ coming to earth is that that's part of the plan where God loves us so much that he longs to be with us. He longs to be with us that he sends his son in order to be reconciled into his presence. Have you ever played hide-and-go-seek with a little kid? Uh, my kids are at the stage where they're doing this, where, uh, especially Kinsley, she, uh, what she'll do, you play hide-and-go-seek with her, and she puts her hands over her eyes. And she thinks because she can't see you, then you can't see her. This is what we do in life with the presence of God. Because you see, in chapter 3, right after Adam and Eve has, have disrupted this harmony, have sinned, they, they hear the, the cool breeze, the afternoon. They hear God coming through the garden. And, and they try and hide behind the bushes, and they cover their eyes. And they think, well, we can't see God, God can't see us. But it's not that God's not present. It's that we're trying to hide from God's presence. You see, I, I, I truly believe that there's only the two options in life. Because if God is our creator, and God is our savior, and, and God is present, then either we can recognize that and participate in the renewing and restoring of, of all things, or we can close our eyes and pretend that he can't see us because we can't see him. And this is why Christmas is so important. Because we're remembering that God came to be present with us. In, in one of the, the Christmas narratives that we read, the birth narratives of Jesus, we have in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, we, we have... Uh, Mary becoming pregnant, and it's through the, the Holy Spirit, and Joseph, we, again, we, we often read these Bible stories so quick that it's just like, man, everyone just knew that God was at work, that everyone followed suit, and everything worked out well in the end, but in verse 19, Joseph 
is debating whether or not to leave Mary. Because you see, he knows scientifically, or however at that time, that he wasn't involved with Mary, yet she was having a baby. And he's putting one and one together, and he's thinking, this isn't mine. In verse 20, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And the angel tells him what's going on with Mary and that she's giving birth to Jesus. And Joseph has two choices in this moment. He can continue to close his eyes and pretend that he can't see God or he can recognize that God is at work and participate in the story. We know how the story ends, but I wanted to just pause there for a moment to appreciate and recognize the humanity of these biblical characters. And our focus of these gatherings and coming together is to continue to learn how to discern the presence of God as a community and as believers and to be able to discern God's presence at work in our midst so that we can continue to discern God's presence and what he's doing in the midst of our communities and neighborhoods. Christ is renewing all things. He comes to us to be with us, and in that presence, he reveals himself. And in his presence, there's forgiveness, reconciliation, healing, transformation, patience, best of all, love. But we have to accept both of these things, too, that he's creator and savior. I, I was talking to Amanda just last night about this and, and thinking of how I could explain this, because Oftentimes, we like to just focus on that he's our savior, that he, uh, that he saves us, so we get a get-out-of-jail-free card, woo! But he's also creator. He creates things in an order. He, he's Lord, and with that, we have to respect and follow through on the order and the forward momentum of participating in renewing all things. But the way I thought I could illustrate it was if you invited Kevin over for dinner next week, but told me to leave Bernie at home. That's my last name, if you didn't know. So if, if you said, I'd like Kevin to come over for dinner, but leave Bernie at home, you can't have it because that's who I am, Kevin Bernie. It's a package deal. There's no way for me to leave Bernie at home. And that's kind of the same thing that's going on here with with God being creator and savior. You, you can't have just one aspect of God. We have to accept God for who he is. But with that comes hope. Because as you accept God for who he is, as you recognize his presence and where he's calling you to participate with him, and this forward movement, you know that right now, whatever situation or circumstance you're facing isn't the end. My family's actually not here tonight because my dad is having a rough day or rough season. And I'll just admit, both sides of my family struggle with depression severely. Uh, hospitalization, um, 
uh, suicide attempts have been on, on both sides. Uh, I first struggled with it in high school, and I'm currently on an antidepressant. Uh, last February, in, in uh, just the beginning of figuring out what's going on with church planting, I, uh, I was just getting so overwhelmed and weighed down. And the one night, I forget even what the whole thing was, there was something that went on with Landon, and I just lost it. I freaked out. I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, what's going on? And I told Amanda, I'm like, I need to deal with this. I need to get some, some help in order, to, um, in order to just help balance these emotions um, to move forward. And why I share this is a good question. <laughs> it's because I know it's not the end of the story. God is creator. God is sustainer. And God overcomes all. And I don't want to just focus on the end as if there's this end finite time because there's not it continues on in his glory and in his presence in, the, in this new city. But it gets better. There, there's hope in Christ. And, and sometimes it, God's given us the abilities and, and the functions to be able to, to depend on doctors and to get help, to help level out whatever's going on, the chemical imbalance. But I think this deeper longing within, with inside each of us is for the garden. You see, we've called this the Welcome Home series. And again, like I was saying with these, these hardened atheists that I've, I've encountered before, is there's this longing that things aren't right in the world. But if things aren't right, what is? It's the garden. It's this garden state. And because we start at the beginning, we know that there's hope on the other side. Because we know and have experienced through our ancestral lineage what things are like in the garden, we know that right now is just a rough ride through the wilderness. But there's hope in Jesus Christ now and in the future. And home is, is such this elusive concept. Um, some of us grew up in rough homes, good homes, many homes. When we were in BC, that was our home because Amanda and I had, our whole relationship was out there, but then we would fly home to be here for Christmas, and then we'd pack up to go home, and we weren't quite sure what home was. But the other thing we try and do with home is we have these memories of, of the good and the positive. And, and sometimes, I don't know if your family's like this, you have such a good Christmas experience and you're rolling on the floor laughing over some of the games, so you try and recreate it each year. And you're like, okay, well, Grandpa has to sit in that chair because that's where he was last year and that kind of helped the flow of things. And, and, and I feel like that's what we often try and do so many times with so many other things right now is, is we're trying to recreate this garden peace with stuff and with things. But God is saying, you can experience it now. 
You can have my presence now. You can feel at home with me now. And that's the hope that we have. And if God's with us, if God's present with us, and he's for us, then what or who could ever be against us? So my prayer is that our eyes be open to the presence of God, that we find our rest and our hope in him, and know that the hope we have is that we know the beginning, we know the middle, and we know the end. But we don't start in the middle. We start in the garden. So I'll just invite the band back up as I close in prayer. And uh, Lord, we just come before you now, and we, we long for the garden. We long for your presence. And just as we kick off this Advent season, Lord, fill us with hope. Fill us with uh, the hope of knowing that whatever we're facing isn't the end, that you are with us. And God, I just pray that wherever anyone's at in their relationship with you, that they really just um, have an encounter and an experience with you, Lord. Make yourself known to them, real to them. And I pray that uh, we remove our hands from our eyes and recognize that you are with us. In your name we pray, amen.